Hello, everyone. Today we are joined by a very special guest, my dear friend Megan. We were friends when we went to college in Trinity, and it's been fun to keep up with her since then, um, even if I don't get to see her as often as I would like. But um, she and I did a lot of fun theater things together. Um, we lived in the same um, dorm at one point and had some fun like classes together. And then she also was an actor in my, um, short film. So that was fun. We got to go on a road trip together and do that. Um, but yeah, she is a wonderful, kind human being, and I'm so excited for y'all to hear what she has to say today. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. That was such a gracious introduction. (laughs) Um, Today, we're going to have a great conversation. I know it. And I'm really thankful for what you're willing to share with us. I would love to hear any additional context that you have for our listeners. Um, Some of them will know you, but not everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. So I think that can say a lot about me from (laughs) the get-go anyway. Uh, Grew up in the Midwest and went to Trinity for undergrad. Um, Grew up like in the church, very involved there as a child and has, I've continued that involvement uh, into this adult life, but it feels and looks very different. I think um, I am currently finishing up, hopefully, uh, my <laughs> doctorate in psychology. So let's hope by the end of 2021, I'll be Dr. Megan, but we'll yeah. see where that goes. Um, so right now I'm living in Denver to do that. I got married uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> which was an adventure. And then um, the biggest like the biggest part of my life right now is adjusting to and trying to figure out how to live as a person whose um, health has been very strange because I got diagnosed with cancer in October of 2019. Um, And although I am cancer free now, which is great, um, I still struggle with a lot of like ongoing health issues and chronic pain and mystery illnesses and aches and strange things that uh, we're just trying to figure out what to do with. So that's been a really uh, big part of my life in the last year and a half or so. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm really thankful that today we can talk about a lot of things, but um, I know that you have a lot of really helpful thoughts on Christianity as it relates to a person's body even Mm -hmm. um because I feel like a lot of Christianity is focused on denying the fact that bodies exist yes um and the flesh is bad everything right yeah (laughs) exactly Um, but we have bodies yes I'm very very ready to dive into that but before we do um how was your spiritual formation when you were when you were a young kid back in the Midwest? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it is not so different than a lot of people's experience 
growing up in the church in the Midwest, right? There's this kind of conservative Christian culture that is pretty prevalent. Um, and I was not obviously immune from that or distinct from that. I was also homeschooled all the way up until college. So I think that really influenced the way that I viewed my faith because we were able to, um, I was able to really integrate faith beliefs into just like every aspect of my day-to-day life. Like that wasn't a separate thing from my learning environment either. Um, So I feel like in that way, my experience feels somewhat similar to people who maybe have gone to like a private Christian high school or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of that was incredibly positive. I appreciate my education and my childhood and the church I grew up in a lot but I also think that the nature of childhood kind of allows us to not have to think too hard about criticizing that or wondering if the things that we're being told and taught are like actually true and Mm. good to hold on to. And so as an adult, I've been able to like start on that journey of thinking back to things that have happened or messages that I received and really internalized and start to think critically about if I want to maintain those beliefs into adulthood and if not the things that I need to do in order to adjust my internal like internal process on those topics which is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be (laughs) (laughs) what yeah right um a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be and 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 as a therapist I thought I was going to be better at it Mm. um it turns out I'm not so this doesn't always happen therapists people too um surprisingly they are yeah oh okay I didn't know that yeah I didn't know that until I started going to school for it but Mm -hmm. um that is in fact the case so who knew wild so what was your faith background as far as like what you were taught to think of the world Um, yeah 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 most of the churches that I went to when I was young were very like non-denominational so in terms of like affiliations to a specific kind of doctrine I don't have that as strongly as a lot of people did Um, and I went to a couple of different churches throughout my childhood so I think that variety and diversity in and of itself like allowed me to hear very different perspectives within a very narrow um belief system I suppose (laughs) Uh, so I think some of the main things that formed what I viewed and like internalized as my faith system were things like our, our salvation is based on faith and not works, acts, like you can't do anything to earn that. Um, And yet, I I don't know, I guess there's a difference between like the messages that I was explicitly and verbally told and the messages that Mm. I received because of like people's actions and the way that they actually did things um, and the expectations that were set for me. Mm -hmm. So I think the the spoken message was salvation is freely given. You just have to accept it. And like the things that you do don't matter for that. And 
our savior and God is a loving person. And so we are also loving people. And then the like lived out message, maybe tried to do the same thing, but definitely communicated to me that although my salvation was not dependent on the things that I did, I needed to be better on a very regular basis or else the quote Jesus that I was displaying to other people was being very, wasn't accurate and could like deter people away from the church. Right. Mm -hmm. So I needed to like be great, Um, but great in like a very narrow sense of that word, right. The things that mattered were not like um, treating people with kindness or something. It was like, do you go to church? Do you Mm -hmm. like, do all the things, did you do your devotionals today? Like, did you spend your quiet time? Um, Those were the things that I think I was implicitly told were important as a Christian. And I'm learning now as an adult that those things may be important to my spiritual well-being, but not nearly to the extent that I originally thought they might be. Were you very worried about wanting to make sure that you were the right version of what people wanted? Um, then I was, yeah, I was very concerned. Um, my, like, as a child and a young person, my, like, primary goal was to be liked by people and to do the things that they wanted me to do and be the person they wanted me to be, so much so that, like, if I look back on myself, I don't really know if I can put a finger on what my personality was Mm. and I think in a lot of ways that that did actually extend into college and beyond and I'm like now as a 27 year old person trying to figure out what my personality is apart from the service that I provide to other people um and like I don't know I I don't know if I have a personality trait that is not dependent on somebody else Mm. That's real. That's very real. And it's ironic, right? And fitting that I go into a helping profession. Yeah. Where I go to work every day and people tell me about all their problems and I support them and I love my job. Yeah. Um, But like my usefulness, my paycheck depends on me being supportive to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Having an original thought. Well, thank you for being the perfect Christian woman. (laughs) Thank you. You know, (laughs) Proverbs 31. You got it. You got it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So what was it like for you when you transitioned into college life outside of that, um, and outside of that environment? Yeah, it was good. I, I loved undergrad at Trinity. Like I really did. I really loved the people that were around me. I loved the activities we were able to do. Like that was a really fun and kind of joyful time for me where uh, I didn't have to live in the real world right it was like being at summer camp for four years <laughs> and I didn't know anything that was going on it politically or in pop culture or whatever um I just got to live in a tiny little campus with all my friends and then I graduated and was like oh shit <laughs> there's it's like real. a whole world out here like yeah and so um Trinity was great and I it felt great at the Mm -hmm. time and I am still grateful for that experience and still look back on it with so much fondness 
but it was not like reality and I was able to maintain like a really lovely sense of naivety uh throughout those four years that is not real Mm. um and then I just felt like I got hit by a bus after graduation when I had to like figure out who I was and what I should do on my own as an independent person and especially for my spiritual life going to a Christian college was awesome in a lot of ways but there were Bible studies and worship nights and stuff every single day it was very easy to be involved in those things and very easy to have those conversations with people and have that be a part of my life and I loved that and then I left that community and had to like do it on my own and so I didn't and what was that like um it was strange it was very strange like my first year to a grad school I didn't I didn't like engage in any spiritual practices at all like I had done before and when I did it felt very performative Mm. but performative in a different way than it had been performative at Trinity (laughs) because it was performative at Trinity but I didn't think it was um and then in grad school um it felt performative for God instead of for the people around me so that I could like remind myself and him that like I'm still a Christian person see I read my bible today um for five minutes Mm -hmm. and didn't think about it or think about what how that translates in my real actual life but but I did it so I'm still a Christian person um And that wasn't helpful either. And I think finally now I'm able to settle in a fairly happy medium place of engaging in practices that are healthy for me and beneficial for me in my spiritual life without feeling like I'm doing it because I have to or I should, but because I like actually want to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Strange, strange thought that like, our own personal spiritual lives can be for us. It is pretty weird. It is weird. Yeah. I think like definitely growing up, anything that was like for ourselves is selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And, and, you know, maybe I was told those messages explicitly at different times. I don't really remember that, but I remember gathering. Mm-hmm. It is supposed to anything focused on ourselves or for ourselves is bad and sinful Mm -hmm. and anything for others is good. And Mm -hmm. then I could see though, at the same time, all of these people who were extremely burnt out, Mm -hmm. having a lot of issues with like even physical, yeah physical burnout, like physical health concerns because they had spent their whole lives not thinking about themselves. And yeah, yeah, I'm glad that we can maybe veer away from that, but it's also kind of scary to be like, this can be for us Mm -hmm. because a lot of people will say that's wrong. Right. Like I, I'm pretty certain I'm not a theologian, but I'm pretty certain there is nothing in the Bible that is telling me that I have to like go out and intentionally martyr myself when for reasons that nobody has ever asked me to do so that I can serve other people to the point of being physically exhausted when like they don't need me or want me to do that. Yeah. But just because I feel like I should. That's 
so dumb. And yeah, I do it every day, <laughs> even still. Yes, absolutely. So kind of being in this time after college of being like, well, I don't have to do this. So I don't, mm-hmm. um, just honestly, really similar to what I did too. And so I can really understand that. Yeah. Um, walk me through the insanity of what 2019 was for you. It was insane. It was so crazy. 2019 was a very whirlwind year from start to finish for me. And it started with, funnily enough, I don't know if it's funny, actually. In the beginning of 2019, I, the beginning of January, I don't do like New Year's resolutions because I can never actually follow through with them. But I do remember at the beginning of 2019, sitting down and really thinking like, okay, I'm not happy in my life. Nothing I'm doing is bringing me joy. I don't feel satisfied in anything. I'm not a person that I want to be or a person that I am proud of. So like, what am I going to do about that? Yeah. Like, I can't just keep doing it. Um, something has to change. And so um, I took like a really long, hard look at what the last couple of years had been for me and decided that I needed to make some like very practical behavioral changes, but also I just needed I needed to make sure that I was my internal motivations for anything that I was doing were genuine. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of fed up of doing stuff because I felt like I should do them and not because I wanted to. Yeah. Um, or because I thought they were the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I made some practical changes on what that looked like for my life. Um, including like, you know, just even trying to like eat a little better. I still don't eat well whatsoever, but I was like, okay, like if I could just keep complaining that I'm eating crap all the time, like I should just stop, like I should at least try to change it. Um, I also changed the way that I was approaching like dating and relationships and decided I'm either like, I'm not happy in what I'm doing right now. And so I'm either going to not and not have that be part of my life right now or I'm gonna try to like actually invest into starting some sort of relationship that I can feel satisfied in Mm -hmm. and that just happened to work out really well for me because I went on the first date with my husband in the beginning of February of that year so it ended up working out for me yeah Um, if that hadn't happened I probably would have just been single the whole year because I would have been so sick of it but Um, But that really propelled a lot of things then too, because being in the first relationship of my life ever um, and really having to challenge the internal messaging that I, or the messaging that I internalized from the church about what relationships are supposed to be was a journey in and of itself. What Um, were some of those messages? Um. I think uh, purity culture was a big one for me, and a lot of the a lot of the things that I had really like taken to heart about a purity culture, like the books and the sermons and the whatever that I had heard throughout my whole like adolescence, like the things that really kind of stuck with me, I don't think were things that they had intended to like instill mm. in people, right? And for me, that looked like 
be really scared of men because they cannot control themselves Mm. and it is your responsibility to do that for them Mm -hmm. um and then unfortunately that is just supported by a mainstream society where women get assaulted all the time so there wasn't anything telling me otherwise and Mm. um but the way that that looked in my life was don't ever let men think that you're interested in them um yeah at all um and if you start to do that you better be ready to marry them um so (laughs) no pressure uh, no pressure right like if you want to go on a date with somebody like if you and you don't marry them you are an actual slut and you're probably going to hell so I had to really examine that um which was hard and in the process of that really swung an opposite way of purity culture and casually dated not in a terrible way not in a way that was like damaging but I I do think I allowed wanting to not be part of purity culture then determined the way that my romantic life was which is still letting it roll the way that my romantic life was um and then I had to wrestle with the fact that when I started dating my husband I had had sex with people that I didn't know very well and was not in relationships with and that was not what a godly woman should be doing or whatever and so how on earth is I supposed to uh, expect a man to love and to respect me now but I'm this dirty and gross um damaged kids yeah, exactly. I'm the rose with the petals falling off or yeah. whatever object lesson people can use. Gum the, that had been chewed by right, the, the tape class. that's not sticky anymore, <laughs> whatever it yeah. was. And that was uh, me. Mm-hmm. And it, there was nothing that my husband Michael was doing to like continue that belief system in me. Like there was nothing yeah. that he was doing or saying that should have led me to believe that he felt that way. But I was so convinced. Mm. But there's like no way anybody could love me now. There's so many things wrong with me. And there are so many things about me that are deal breakers Mm. um, for other people that I should just like, yeah, that I'm very inherently unlovable. Mm. So that was a hard and complicated thing to unlearn. Yeah. And I'm still unlearning. Yeah. That's fair. Did you feel like a personal guilt for those decisions or was it more of like a protection for other people mm-hmm. what what was that dynamic like probably both yeah I think a lot of it was a personal failure yeah that I had made these choices and therefore like I just had to live with the consequences forever mm. and that consequence was probably according to the internalized messages that I had received right that I had uh upheld for myself that meant that I was probably not going to ever have like a healthy relationship and I was not going to be loved and I was not going to amount to anything which is like not what the God of the Bible tells us (laughs) isn't it strange how the things that church taught me were not the things that the God of the Bible actually Mm. tells his people Mm -hmm. in fact quite the opposite was it like being loved by someone when you felt like you were unlovable it was so weird 
Um, I think that coupled with just being a person who is mentally ill, <laughs> like in a lot of ways and has really bad anxiety in general, um, was very confusing. Like it didn't make sense to me that somebody was willing to love me. And I think I didn't quite understand the extent of that and the extent that I had really like that that belief had like permeated into my being until I was like so openly being offered love and was suspicious of it because it felt like that was like there's got to be a condition there or it's probably not genuine or like if I am okay receiving that love then like it's a maybe it's like a joke or he's going to take it away or something Mm. um so I just didn't believe that it was real because not because I didn't believe that he was being honest with me but because I didn't understand how somebody could even want to love a person like me is that something that you still struggle with Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it's I think it's going to be a part of my life forever, unfortunately. Um, and I have like ups and downs with it. There are days and weeks and months where I believe that I'm lovable and worthy of love and can see the things about myself that make sense that people could love. And then there are days and weeks and months where I am convinced that all of my friends secretly hate me and like they're hanging out with me out of pity and um I'm gonna get divorced next week because like there's no way anybody could stand to be married to me like um and I I don't see how that will change I think as I get older like maybe those moments of feeling unlovable will become further and farther between I don't know if they're ever going to go away. I had something in a similar route where I was like finding myself feeling this panic of like, I had to earn love (laughs) from everyone. Yeah. And, and I know like earlier in my relationship with Devin, he just kept being like, why are you doing all of these things? Yeah. Like you're exhausted. And like, they don't have any bearing on like how much I love you. <laughs> like yeah. I just love you. And I was just like, no, but like, I have to like earn it to make sure mm-hmm. that it's real. And, mm-hmm. and oh man, I yeah. didn't realize how much of a part of myself that was. Yeah. Well, isn't that like just so counter what Christianity wants to be like and what it should be like if we believe that the scripture is divine if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and the God of the Bible exists like there actually is nothing that we need to do to deserve love and yet I think Christian culture quotation marks right like whatever that is the church unintentionally teaches us the exact opposite that in order to be worthy of love or good relationships good friendships good marriages we have to do 
so many things and we have to be a certain way and that's just straight up not real yeah yeah I've really had to kind of examine where I'm where I've received those messages in my life because I'm like mm-hmm. that doesn't that's not what the bible says to me mm-hmm. but still I inherently believe it as something mm-hmm. that is yeah. very religiously bound to me yes yeah and I think that's a part of if people want to call it deconstructing or for me I don't know if I would use that term I would maybe just more refer to it as like becoming more mature in my spiritual life um, and more realistic Um, something that I think we're gonna have to do forever all the time very systematically and is think okay I've noticed myself having these thoughts I've noticed myself saying these things I've noticed myself doing this like why why am I doing that where did I learn that do I want to continue to hold this belief and if not like what do I need to do about it? Um, something that I learned in um, my training to be a therapist and that I do with my clients all of the time is um, instead of like judging or shaming the problematic things or the harmful things that we do or say or think, um, it's way more helpful and productive to be curious about the function of that behavior. Like, like, what does this do for me, even if it's not doing it well? Like, if I'm biting my nails and I don't want to do that, like, what is the function of that? And the function of that is I'm feeling really anxious and I need to get out this anxious energy somehow. And so I'm going to do this thing that is a little self-destructive, but not too bad. Um, and the feelings behind that are not bad. But, like, let's find something that can maybe serve the same function, but is not self-destructive or harmful to ourselves. And I think a lot of the things that I notice myself doing that are a result of problematic church teachings, the function, the reasoning behind those things and the desires that I have that are leading me to that are not bad. Like I want to earn people's love because I have a really deep desire to be loved And like, that is not a bad thing. It is good and normal and natural to want to be loved. Um, So like, what's a more productive and healthy way that I could go about expressing that rather than acting like I need to earn it? Yeah, that's so real. Well, spoiler alert, you did get engaged. (laughs) Dead. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I got engaged in... Uh, August of 2019 and my husband and I planned to get married in April of 2020 and then uh, got married in December instead so we got married less than a year after knowing each other which was something that I never thought I was going to do ever Um, but we decided to get married in December because I got cancer and uh, in October 2019 we found that out and I needed to have really intense surgery to cut it out um that was happening in December and so I wanted Michael to be able to um make medical decisions for me if need be um Mm -hmm. since we had talked about what I would want in different situations and uh in case I died I wanted to be married to him first yeah Yeah. well yeah that's so fair 
Mm-hmm. So wow. that's not what I expected at all, but no. it worked out fine. Yeah. And, and like, and still odd, here, and that's yeah, crazy. yeah, not dead. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out like oddly providential because we ended up having to cancel our wedding anyway because of COVID. Oh, so then we were already legally married and we didn't have to figure out like how to get married um, yeah. outside of our wedding. Yeah. So it all works out. It did. Yeah. But still a lot of loss in that too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. It's a different kind of grief than I expected it to be. Mm. All of it. Right. I think everybody's experiencing that with the pandemic. Like we're all grieving something. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's really important to like acknowledge that things that we can grieve things that aren't mm-hmm. people who died. Yes. Yes. I yeah. I think there's a very narrow-minded. And not like ill-willed, but very narrow-minded belief that like you grieve when someone close to you has died Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe when like there's a natural disaster or something, right? And like, it's okay to grieve those things. Um, But man, like that's not, that's just one tiny grain of sand in the like, you know, beach that is grief and tragedy and trauma and yeah I got thrown into that a bit walk me through your diagnosis and your relationship to your Mm -hmm. body and how that was affected yeah it was such a strange strange experience I um in October of 2019, I had decided to get my tubes tied. Um, I knew that I never wanted to have biological children. I've known that like most of my life, um, which was another thing that I was very convinced no one would ever be able to love me or want to marry me for um, because good Christian men need to have babies. Um, of so. And as many as possible. Exactly. That is a woman's role is to just pop out those kids. Um, But I knew that that's not what I wanted. And I had some health issues that I knew about up to that point that would make getting pregnant, staying pregnant, having a healthy pregnancy and delivery, like very difficult at the very minimum Um, and likely impossible or like um like I heard from a doctor pretty early on that I would if I had ever decided to try to become pregnant I would likely have lots of miscarriages and difficult births and pregnancies and I already didn't really want to have biological kids and go through pregnancy and birth anyway and so hearing that was just kind of the deciding factor for me that Um, the trauma that that would inevitably bring was just not worth it for me. And so I decided to get surgery for that so that I wouldn't have to worry about it um, or get unintentionally pregnant and have to manage that. Um, And I wasn't able to take birth, any sort of birth control anymore Mm -hmm. because I had so many health issues with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was my only birth control option. 
Um, that I thought was going to be the most traumatizing medical decision that I ever had to make. And I wish it was. <laughs> right. Um, and that was just so not true. So I had that surgery and it's, it was like a one day thing where they told me, yep, it's a Friday, like by Monday, you'll be good to go. Like here's some pain pills when you go home, everything went well. Um, and if you're not feeling good by Monday, maybe like give us a call and, and see if anything's going wrong. And I was so sick. Like I was mm. so sick. Um, and in so much pain, like just unbearable pain for days and days and days. And so I went to the ER and a very long ER visit, shorter hospital stay with lots and lots and lots of tests. Uh, later, I found out that I had liver cancer and that I had likely had this cancer for over five years already. Five years. Yeah. And oh my goodness. I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, when I was at Trinity, uh, I actually found out that this tumor existed. Mm. Um, my junior year, I was having some back pain and I went to uh, urgent care ER and they saw the tumor there. And it's just this kind of cancer that I had is so rare. Like they just didn't even think about it. And I guess it's not uncommon for people to have like benign liver, liver tumors mm. um, that just like don't really impact their life at all. It's just like, cause the liver is huge and it is yeah. regenerative. So like, it's not that dangerous to have a tumor in your liver and it happens to people all the time. And so the doctor mm. told me, yeah, you have this tumor in your liver, but like not a big deal. Um, unless you start having symptoms, like you don't have to worry about it at all. Uh, and that was not real. It was actually just cancer. And so by the time we found out that it confirmed that it was cancer in October of 2019, it was the size of a cantaloupe. Mm. It had just grown so big and was um, really It's just hard for me to envision like a cantaloupe fitting in your body like you're right. already I'm not so a tiny huge person. right I'm not that big of a person every time I see a cantaloupe now yeah. I look at it and I'm like how much is it like I don't know I have no idea I have no idea how I never knew that it was there it didn't yeah. ever cause me problems that I knew of now of course looking back at some of the medical issues that I had they're mm -hmm. definitely influenced by the cancer but we just thought I was having bad luck yeah. Um, yeah. And so I got diagnosed then. Um, it's a really rare form of liver cancer that um, affects people who are young, like average age is 25 when you get diagnosed, um, which is odd for liver cancer because most of the time people mm. who have liver cancer are like older, maybe have had like liver disease before. So their liver isn't totally healthy or, um, were like alcoholics throughout their life. And so their liver has sustained some damage from that. Like that's mostly, um, mostly who gets liver cancer, not 25 year old healthy young people. Um, but I had it and um, we moved really quickly into having surgery to remove it, which I'm really thankful for. Um, if we hadn't been able to find that tumor when we did or recognize that it was cancer when we did 
um, I like by now it would have at the very least spread to other parts of my body or like taken over um, like important arteries <laughs> like near my liver and stuff. It was already getting really close to that, but it didn't. And I would like probably be dead by now, like if it had spread that far. So I'm really fortunate that we found it when it did, but um, it was scary. Like going from being a semi-healthy person to having cancer. Especially in this time where you're already learning how to be loved mm-hmm. by someone. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was so strange. And like, I was finally beginning to have a better relationship with myself and be able to love myself because I'm seeing myself as worthy of love now. Right. And that is right before I got diagnosed with cancer, that was like the best that my like body image and self-esteem had ever Mm been. (laughs) And that went away. (laughs) Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm struggling with figuring out all the complications that came with having cancer. I mean, I started having so many symptoms, like tons and tons of pain, but also um, like really low appetite, really low energy and all of this, I lost like a ton of weight. Um, I was like probably 92 pounds for a while, which is like, I have not been that light since like pre-puberty, right? Like like I was maybe 10 years old the last time I was that little um, because I just, I couldn't eat and I couldn't keep food down. And it took every ounce of energy in my body just to like not die. Mm -hmm. And so, that was really strange to like not recognize my body to have surgery and have really big intense scars all over my body now Mm -hmm. um I've gained the weight back that I lost um which is good for my health but also now strange because now I'm again looking at a body that I didn't recognize so it's just been a very strange experience overall um and a feeling of, and I'm sure you can resonate with this too, as somebody who has experienced chronic illness, like that feeling of being betrayed by our bodies when we're taught, especially in Christian culture, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a lot of shame that comes with being a woman in general, but I felt like as a Christian person, I was supposed to be grateful for at at the very least the things that my body can do and keeping me healthy and keeping me safe. And now I'm not healthy and I'm not thankful for the things that my body can do because I can't do anything. Um, And it harbored this thing growing inside of me that was trying to kill me. And that's, it, it doesn't feel safe anymore. And even now like being cancer free is great. And yet I probably five times a day, right? Just wonder, well, maybe I have cancer again. Like maybe it's back. Any pain that I have in my body, I probably have cancer. Um, And so this body is not a safe place to be anymore. Right. And there's no escaping it. Right. It's yours. Yeah. For better or worse, right? Like I can try to take care of it as best as I can, 
And yet in doing that, it still betrays me like every day. I've, I've kind of noticed, I don't know if this is fair to say, but we'll see. <laughs> Go for it. Um, it kind of seems like in a lot of like places where Christian culture and cancer culture overlap, it's very much an idea of like, wow, God saved you. <laughs> and aren't you glad you have a new lease on life? Mm-hmm. And isn't that perfect for you? And like, people are expected to kind of have this idea of like, okay, well, I'm here for a purpose and I have to do this, this, and this. And that's not the messaging I've received from you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that is intentional. And Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I decided pretty early on after getting diagnosed, once I began to tell people, that I wanted to be like as transparent and real mm-hmm. in the way that I spoke about my experience as possible, whether like in conversation or on social media or whatever, because I do think that that's very much the case. Like, especially if you are a Christian person or a person who's in the church or is religious and you have some sort of illness, particularly cancer, just because it's talked about a lot, yeah, you're supposed to be really strong and like appreciate life. And, um, you know, God gives uh, his hardest battles to his strongest warriors, Mm -hmm. which is like, not real. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're supposed to be happy and joyful and grateful and strong in the midst of suffering, so that we can quote, show the world that my strength is in Jesus and he will heal me. And I think the most accurate lesson and the hardest pill to swallow throughout this journey for me has been that it is entirely possible that I'm going to be in pain for my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And no amount of like praying to Jesus (laughs) to not have that happen, like that might not take it away. Um, I think there's a tendency in church culture to minimize suffering because we feel like we're not supposed to feel bad or sad if we worship a good God. And like in my experience and from what I know about the God of the Bible, there's nothing in there that says that he's going to take away pain just because I want him to. (laughs) Like... And I think, I think Christian people don't know how to support people who are dealing with illness either. Yeah. Um, not intentionally, like they're not trying to cause pain problems, but we don't, we as in church, don't teach each other how to care for people who are sick in an actually helpful way Yeah. Um, or how to be supportive. Like right after I got diagnosed, the first couple of times that I went to the church that I was going to after that, I like, didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, mostly cause I was really tired, but I also just didn't want to have to pretend like I was doing okay when I was not. Yeah. Um, and yet when people would talk to me, they are well-intentioned, right? They are mm-hmm. wanting to be supportive of me, wanting to show that they care. 
And yet the things that they would say to me were just wholly unhelpful or mean in the way that I'm interpreting them. Like I lost all that weight. I was really tiny. I was so unhealthy. And I cannot tell you how many well-intentioned church ladies Mm. complimented me on how great I looked. Um, And like, oh, you'd never tell that you have cancer. You look so good. And I'm like, well, Susan, (laughs) I haven't eaten in a week and a half, but thanks. Way to go. Good job. (laughs) I'm glad I don't look sick. One woman, again, well-intentioned. Like, Oh, I wish my doctor told me to gain weight. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Well, I wish I didn't have cancer. So sometimes we don't get what we want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then when I would express being sad or, you know, whatever, I was told to be grateful that I was alive. Mm -hmm. I was not grateful that I was alive. Like Mm -hmm. cancer sucks. And there are very many moments of very many days where I think this is not worth it. Yeah. Um, I would rather not be here right now doing this, um, and having to live this life of suffering now, even now being cancer free when my body hurts all the time. Like I express that now sometimes to people and the vast majority of people in church contexts are like, well, praise Jesus that you're cancer free. And I'm like, sure. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's okay for me to be sad, like, and it's okay for me to not want this. Um, I don't have to be grateful for it. Yeah. Um, and asking me if I've like prayed for healing is just so offensive. Um, thanks, man. I, I wish I could have all of the time back that I spend the hours and hours every day Mm. that I spend just begging God to take it away. Mm -hmm. Like I could do so much with that time. Yeah. How is that? doesn't give healing. Yeah. How has that affected your relationship with God? Having him, him not taking that away from you. It's hard. I think the only thing that keeps me comfortable in the Christian faith is the acknowledgement that the God of the Bible, whom I want to be close with, is by nature too complicated for me to understand. And that's good. We don't want to worship a God that we can understand because that's dumb. Counterintuitive. And because of that, it's okay that I don't understand what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And I think through this journey of the last year and a half or so, I've been able to notice and appreciate stories and verses in the Bible where people are in pain and are lamenting and are seeking comfort and sometimes are not comforted. Mm. Um, and before cancer, I did not like to read those parts of the Bible because I wanted the Christian life to mean that I got to be happy all the time. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? That's what I was promised. Mm-hmm. That if I did all of these things, God would reward me and my life would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the time when it will feel worth it is um, when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And 
I get to experience a greater sense of relief that I don't have physical pain anymore. And I will appreciate that more. My dead self will, I don't know. I don't know what heaven will be like or what being dead will be like. But I hope that experiencing the physical pain that I have now will make it sweeter. Yeah, I hope so too. In our pre-interview, we talked about the ways that your experience with cancer and some of the ways that people talk about purity culture they can kind of like overlap and Mm -hmm. be related with each other and I'd love for you to kind of help us understand how how your struggles with both Mm -hmm. have intertwined with each other especially in the way that it relates to your physical being yeah totally I think yeah in Christian culture and messaging like there's such confusing and conflicting things about bodies like we're supposed to care for our bodies and love our bodies and and yet we are taught in a lot of ways that our bodies are not trustworthy and are bad in a lot of ways and I think both of those things I see to be true in purity culture especially women we're taught that our bodies are beautiful and wonderful but that we should cover them up and never let anyone touch them and not enjoy them and not try too hard to be pretty because that is vain Mm -hmm. um, and that our bodies and our sexuality are bad. And with cancer, I think we in Christian culture are taught that God has created our bodies really wonderfully and that everything has purpose and we need to take care of them and our body's a temple. And, And then being somebody who is sick and cannot trust my body and cannot look at my body without being reminded of the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to me and probably will ever happen to me has taught me that um, I think both of those things can be true. Like I can appreciate that this body has kept me alive and has kept me safe the best way that it knows how and that it is hurt and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to Mm -hmm. and it causes me a lot of pain and it makes it that so that I can't do a lot of the things that I want to do and because just because my body is not the way that I wish it was doesn't mean that it's not good Mm -hmm. because it can be and like there are some days where I can be really reminded of that and where I can look at the scars all over my body and feel very grateful that they're there because it means that the cancer was able to be removed and my body was able to stitch itself back together to be here now but that doesn't like have to invalidate the pain and the hurt and the sadness that I feel on the days where I look at my body and I see the scars and I just can't help but sob and and grieve that I will never be healthy and my body will never be whole again and there will always be that constant anxiety of Mm -hmm. is it back yeah yeah I mean internally and just practically I have to go to the oncologist every three months I 
get scans to make sure it's not back. Like this type of cancer that I have comes back in the majority of people who have it. So like, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I do think it's realistic Mm -hmm. for me to always keep in my mind that like statistically I might probably well have cancer again and we have to do this all over um and that's scary yeah like it was it was awful and it will be awful again if that happens (laughs) and no amount of like church going it's gonna make it less awful but it can help right there can be community that helps and I do think that having a faith system helps me deal with that unknown and can help me feel comforted and reading psalms has been really helpful for that actually um because there's so much lament there and that reminds me that it's okay (laughs) to lament um it's okay to ask God, like, why is this happening to me? Don't you love me? Where are you? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that I'm not a good enough Christian because like there are people who literally wrote books in the Bible <laughs> that we read that did that and like, they're fine. So. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think we've talked about this at different times, but even just moving to a new place, like, Mm-hmm. A church environment can be helpful totally. in meeting people and yeah. finding some sense of community, even mm-hmm. if it's not a perfect community. Yeah. It's still a community. Yeah, absolutely. And like the first thing that we did when we moved here is try to find a church community that we liked. And when COVID was still going real strong, so we didn't go in person, mm-hmm. um, but we were able to get to know some people and we joined a like a small group of a lot of other like young people kind of in the same stage of life that I'm in um and that's been so wonderful like it's been so lovely to have a community of people um around me and people who I can share these things with and not be afraid that I'm going to sound like ungrateful for being alive um because people don't like to hear whiny cancer survivors like I'm supposed Mm. to be thankful and joyful and happy and go on the like walks to raise money for yourself or whatever and that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing but I don't I'm not about to that's not where I'm at yeah and that's fair there's no use forcing yourself to be in a place that mm-hmm. you're not in yeah. just because you're quote unquote supposed to be. Right. Which is not just a theme of now, but a theme of your mm-hmm. life too. So yeah, it really has been. Yeah. I do think that it, uh, a positive of cancer, maybe the only positive of cancer, right. Is that, um, I feel like I, it gives me permission inside myself to just not feel like I have to do what other people want because I didn't, I did that before I did what other people wanted and I wanted to not do that. But now, like if I'm struggling with it, I can just tell myself like, well, who knows how long you have left? Like, 
Kansas a bitch just do whatever you want like yeah. you don't have time to be in these toxic environments you don't have time to spend time doing all of this stuff that you don't even want to do for no reason um I only have like so much energy in a day mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not about to waste it on dumb stuff yeah um so I do think in that way, maybe in a cliche way, right? Cancer has kind of taught me the value of time and the value of life. Um, but not in the way that I think cancer is portrayed yeah. in, in church and in, you know, in like media and whatever. Like, um, that was not my experience whatsoever. Just a quick plug. If people are looking to know what this post-cancer, hopefully not, but maybe pre-cancer life looks like, um, following Megan on Instagram has been a very, very helpful, not just like piece of me knowing where you're at as a friend, but just like a tool for me to know how to interact with people with cancer Mm -hmm. in a more honest and caring way. Um, so I really, I suggest that to people, um, because I think it's, it's not easy to be as vulnerable as you've been on Instagram, but I think it's helped a lot of people understand it in a more honest way. Yeah. That was my hope, right? Like this is not a glamorous life. Like I'm not living a Fulton your stars moment <laughs> for sure. I am like pooping my pants on the regular. Right. Like that is where my life is at. And so, um, and I didn't know that before here, before mm-hmm. being here, you know, like I wouldn't have known how to interact with somebody with cancer if, if one of my peers and friends had had that experience. And so, um, yeah, if like if this experience can be beneficial in any way to other people, like I do hope that sharing how this life is and for just for me, like I can't speak for anyone else's experience, but from the conversations that I've been able to have with other especially young cancer patients and survivors, like mm. I'm not alone in a lot of this. Um, and a lot of the things that I experience are pretty universal, but I wouldn't have known that until right, being able right. to connect with other young cancer patients. And so, um, I just want to be able to like share, spread that knowledge, like outside of the cancer community. Um, so that unfortunately we can't escape tragedy and we can't escape illness. And so like inevitably there's going to be another person in our lives who experiences some sort of illness or tragedy or cancer or something. And like, if I can be a better support to them when that time comes for them, because I know it was helpful for me and what wasn't helpful for me. And I can like share that knowledge with other people like that. That's a good thing that can come out of the like shit that has been (laughs) the last couple of years of my life. Absolutely. Um, Well, things have changed a lot for you since you were growing up (laughs) Um, so much. Um, And yeah, it's not like we're ever in this place where we've arrived, but this is Mm -hmm. where we're at now. Um, 
what are you most thankful to have left behind in, in your previous Mm -hmm. culture and understanding of what God and the world is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that I'm glad to have left and work regularly to still leave is the sense that in order to be a quote good Christian person or a good Christian woman that I need to be specific things to do that Mm. Um, because that's not the case like if my childhood self could see myself now um, I would not be proud or happy of me like and yet I look at myself now and I am proud of me Mm. and happy for me yeah. And I do think that I am living obviously not perfectly, but okay-ish the things that I hope to as a Christian person. Like I'm trying to become better at all of this, but living life as a Christian in my context right now looks like this imperfectly. Um, but this is not what I thought being a good Christian person <laughs> would maybe look like. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I was wrong when I was little because I didn't know any better. There's this weird thing that I'm kind of noticing or thinking back on. And like, there's so many messages about like the innocence of children. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of this, I don't know who's saying it, but I can like get this <laughs> feeling, I guess, of like, of yeah, like what would your innocent mm-hmm. Christian child self think of you now? And would you want to disappoint her? And yeah. Um, and there's this this environment of like, yeah, well, that was when it, you were a kid. It was before you were like yeah. corrupted by the world. Um mm-hmm. It's also before you knew the realities of the world. Right, exactly. (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think that's where like things like therapy or Mm -hmm. education beyond high school are come in and that are really important because you could, yeah, always look back on childhood of being like, oh, I really like had it together and I like knew what I wanted and I knew how to do everything. Um but it doesn't acknowledge that like, Hey, I was a kid and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know. <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's just something I've been re- realizing a lot lately, just how, how and there are some things there that don't really fit or match up, mm-hmm. but I think it's okay to acknowledge that kids are yeah. children. And, yes. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even as a therapist, like, I think there's a whole, idea of doing like inner child work where like you communicate with that like child inside of you and a lot of times that's like if you experience trauma in childhood like being able to comfort that that part of you that is still there um and then vice versa that like would your younger self be proud of you now like I want to be the person that my seven-year-old self would be excited to become and like each of those can have their place where they're helpful, but to live in those spaces and those mindsets are not helpful. Yeah. Um, 
because if I was the person that my seven-year-old self wanted me to be, I would hate my life. Like I have grown up since then. Right. <laughs> and so like I, I would not be, I would be so different than who I am. And I don't think I would enjoy it. And that child self that I can comfort now, like deserves to be comforted and also has not faced the horrible realities that life has in store for us yet. And so why shouldn't we just be where we are? Yeah, exactly. Is there anything that you miss about that Mm. child version of yourself? Yeah. I mean, I do think I miss that, like what people might call innocence, but is actually like ignorance maybe (laughs) and children are allowed to be ignorant like they should not have to know the realities of the world yet they're not ready for it um but I do miss the idea of being able to live in a really safe closed off space where I don't have to confront the horrible things that are going on in the world or in like my life being able to like escape from that as a child is way easier than being able to escape from it as an adult. Um, And as a kid, especially growing up in the church, I miss being able to look at adults, especially in the church, um, pastors and other leaders and assume that they're right because now I can't and should not do that yeah um but when I was a kid that made sense to me like they're adults and they know what they're doing and they're adults who are Christians so they extra know what they're doing um they don't Mm -hmm. um they're just people and they're people who are wrong sometimes yeah I mean therapists are people people in ministry are people (laughs) yeah really all people whether we like to admit it or not (laughs) right another theme that's been coming up in a lot of these interviews is just like being able to acknowledge that we're human and that Mm -hmm. we have like elements of humanity in us and that doesn't mean that we're terrible um Mm -hmm. yeah that's a huge message that church gives us too when we're young is that like the human nature is sinful and like we are bad and yeah um and there's things about people that are bad like people are awful sometimes yeah um but like okay (laughs) okay okay but we're all that way and we can we can like grow and try to become better versions of ourselves um, but that doesn't mean that we have to like hate the parts of us that are human. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know that in your therapy work, you have been interacting with a lot of younger people, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. Um, so I, when I phrase this question, I'll phrase it for people around our age, but also people who are younger, cause mm-hmm. you have an insight into them too. Um, But what would you like to say to those who are worried about young people Mm. leaving the church or this Christian way of life, um, however you want to phrase that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this makes my brain go back to even like 
the very beginning of our conversation, which is like, what is the, like, what is the reasoning behind that? Like, let's just be curious about it. Right. If people are leaving the church, especially young people, or they're becoming disillusioned by the church, like instead of being upset by that and wondering how on earth can we get them to stay? I think we need to be curious about like what is making them leave in the first place and critically question that and say, okay, is that accurate? Is that something that we want to be putting out there? Or is that something that we need to like maybe adjust a little bit? I think the vast majority of the reasons that I've been hearing people want to leave the church or change their relationship with the church and Christianity is because Christianity has in a lot of places become really synonymous with judgment and hatred. And if we really want to be people following the God of the Bible, that is like the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. So let's like critically examine that and wonder instead of what can we do to like make them not leave like what can we change about the church to become more in line with that messaging like in actuality not just in words yeah and so that we can compel people to feel like they want to stay yeah couldn't agree more well this has been a really enlightening conversation. So thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability because I know it takes a lot of emotional and even physical energy (laughs) that um, is very sparse, especially in your life Mm -hmm. right now. So thank you so much. Um, And I'll I'll thank you on behalf of of our listeners as well because I know that a lot of people are looking forward to hearing your words as well. Yeah. Well, I miss you. I love you. And I hope to see you soon. And we're back at you. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk soon. Yeah.